when I published Ulysses by James Joyce in my little bookshop called Shakespeare and Company in Paris. Look, look, the dust is growing. My branches lost Lord James. Stately, plump, buck bargain. All perfume, yes, and his heart was going like mad. And yes, I said yes, I will, yes. Friends of Shakespeare and Company read Ulysses by James Joyce. Read today by Marcel Theroux. Who is the Longfellow running for the mayoralty, Alf, says Joe. Friend of yours, says Alf. Nanan, says Joe. The Mimba. I won't mention any names, says Alf. I thought so, says Joe. I saw him up at that meeting now with William Field MP, the cattle traders. Harry Yopus, says the citizen, that exploded volcano, the darling of all countries and the idol of his own. So Joe starts telling the citizen about the foot-and-mouth disease and the cattle traders and taking action in the matter and the citizen sending them all to the right about and Bloom coming out with his sheep dip for the scab and a hoose drench for coughing calves and the guaranteed remedy for timber tongue because he was up one time in a knacker's yard walking about with his book and pencil here's my head and my heels are coming till joe cuff gave him the order of the boot for giving lip to a grazier mr Noel, teach a grandmother how to milk ducks pisser burke was telling me in the hotel the wife used to be in rivers of tears sometimes with mrs o'dowd crying her eyes out with her eight inches of fat all over her couldn't loosen her farting strings but old cod's eye was waltzing around her showing her how to do it what's your program today ay humane methods because the poor animals suffer and experts say and the best known remedy that doesn't cause pain to the animal and on the sore spot administer gently gob he'd have a soft hand under a hen gar gar gara cluck 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 black liz is our hen she lays eggs for us when she lays her eggs she is so glad gara cluck 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 then comes good uncle leo he puts his hand under black liz and takes her fresh egg gar 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 gara cluck 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 anyhow says joe field and annette are going over tonight to london to ask about it on the floor of the house of commons are you sure, says Bloom, the councillor is going? I wanted to see him, as it happens. Well, he's going off by the mail boat, says Joe. Tonight. That's too bad, says Bloom. I wanted particularly. Perhaps only Mr. Field is going. I couldn't phone. No. You're sure? Nanan's going too, says Joe. The League told him to ask a question tomorrow about the Commissioner of Police forbidding Irish games in the park. What do you think of that, citizen? The Sluna Heron. Mr. Cow, Conacre, Multifarnham, Nat. Arising out of the question of my honourable friend, the member for Shillelagh, may I ask the right honourable gentleman whether the government has issued orders that these animals shall be slaughtered, though no medical evidence is forthcoming as to their pathological condition? Mr. Allfors, Tamashant, Con. Honourable members are already in possession of the evidence produced before a committee of the whole house. I feel I cannot usefully add anything to that. The answer to the honourable member's question is in the affirmative. Mr. Orelli, Montnot, Nat. 
Have similar orders been issued for the slaughter of human animals who dare to play Irish games in the Phoenix Park? Mr. Allfours. The answer is in the negative. Mr. Cow Conacher. Has the right honourable gentleman's famous Mitchellstown telegram inspired the policy of gentlemen on the Treasury bench? Oh, oh, Mr. Allfours. I must have notice of that question. Mr. Stalewit, Buncombe, Ind. Don't hesitate to shoot. Ironical opposition cheers. The Speaker. Order! Order! The House rises. Cheers. There's the man, says Joe, that made the Gaelic sports revival. There he is, sitting there. The man that got away James Stevens, the champion of all Ireland, at putting the sixteen-pound shot. What was your best throw, citizen? Nabaklis, says the citizen, letting on to be modest. There was a time as I was as good as the next fellow, anyhow. Put it there, citizen, says Joe. You were, and a bloody sight better. Is that really a fact, says Alf? Yes, says Bloom. That's well known. Do you not know that? So off they started about Irish sport and Shanine games, the like of the lawn tennis, and about Hurley, and putting the stone, and racy of the soil, and building up a nation once again, and all of that. And of course, Bloom had to have his say too about if a fellow had a rower's heart, violent exercise was bad. I declare to my anti-macassar, if you took up a straw from the bloody floor, and if you said to Bloom, look at Bloom, do you see that straw? That's a straw. Declare to my aunt, he'd talk about it for an hour, so he would, and talk steady. A most interesting discussion took place in the ancient hall of Brian O'Kernan's in Sredenbreitenberg, under the auspices of Slona Erin, on the revival of ancient Gaelic sports and the importance of physical culture, as understood in ancient Greece and ancient Rome and ancient Ireland, for the development of the race. The venerable president of this noble order was in the chair, and the attendance was of large dimensions. After an instructive discourse by the chairman, a magnificent oration, eloquently and forcibly expressed, a most interesting and instructive discussion of the usual high standard of excellence, ensued as to the desirability of the revivability of the ancient games and sports of our ancient pan-Celtic forefathers. The well-known and highly respected worker in the cause of our old tongue, Mr. Joseph McCarthy Hines, made an eloquent appeal for the resuscitation of the ancient Gaelic sports and pastimes, practised morning and evening by Finn McCool, as calculated to revive the best traditions of manly strength and power handed down to us from ancient ages. L. Bloom, who met with a mixed reception of applause and hisses, having espoused the negative, the vocalist chairman brought the discussion to a close in response to repeated requests and hearty plaudits from all parts of a bumper house by a remarkably noteworthy rendering of the immortal Thomas Osborne Davis's evergreen verses, happily too familiar to need recalling here, a nation once again in the execution of which the veteran patriot champion may be said without fear of contradiction, to have fairly excelled himself. The Irish Caruso Garibaldi was in superb.
superlative form, and his stentorian notes were heard to the greatest advantage in the time-honoured anthem sung as only our citizen can sing it. His superb high-class vocalism, which, by its super quality, greatly enhanced his already international reputation, was vociferously applauded by the large audience amongst which were to be noticed many prominent members of the clergy, as well as representatives of the press and the bar and the other learned professions. The proceedings then terminated. Amongst the clergy present were the very Reverend William Delaney, SG, LLD, the Right Reverend Gerald Malloy, DD, the Reverend PJ Kavanagh, CSSP, the Reverend T. Waters, CC, the Reverend John M. Ivers, PP, the Reverend PJ Cleary, OSF, the Reverend LJ Hickey, OP, the very Reverend Father Nicholas, OSFC, the very Reverend B. Gorman, ODC, the Reverend T. Mayer, SJ, the very Reverend James Murphy, SJ, the Reverend John Lavery, VF, the very Reverend William Doherty, DD, the Reverend Peter Fagan, OM, the Reverend T. Brangan, OSA, the Reverend J. Flavin, CC, the Reverend M. A. Hackett, CC, the Reverend W. Hurley, CC, the Right Reverend Monsignor McManus, VG, the Reverend B. R. Slattery, OMI, the Reverend M. D. Scally, PP, the Reverend F. T. Purcell, OP, the very Reverend Timothy Cannon, Gorman PP, the Reverend J. Flanagan CC, the laity included P. Fay, T. Quirk, etc., etc. Talking about violent exercise, says Alf, were you at that Keogh Bennett match? No, says Joe. I heard so-and-so made a cool hundred quid over it, says Alf. Who? Blazes, says Joe. And says Bloom, what I meant about tennis, for example, is the agility and training of the eye. Eye blazes, says Alf. He let out that Myler was on the beer to run the odds and he's swatting all the time. We know him, says the citizen, the traitor's son. We know what put English gold in his pocket. True for you, says Joe. And Bloom cuts in again about lawn tennis and the circulation of the blood, asking Alf, now, don't you think, Bergen? Myler dusted the floor with him, says Alf. Heenan and Sayers was only a bloody fool to it, handed him the father and mother of a beating. See the little kipper nod up to his navel and the big fellow swiping. God, he gave him one last puck in the wind. Queensbury rules and all made him puke what he never ate. It was a historic and hefty battle when Myler and Percy were scheduled to don the gloves for the purse of 50 sovereigns. Handicapped as he was by lack of poundage, Dublin's pet lamb made up for it by superlative skill in ringcraft. The final bout of fireworks was a gruelling for both champions. The welterweight sergeant major had tapped some lively claret in the previous mix-up, during which Keogh had been receiver-general of rights and lefts, the artilleryman putting in some neat work on the pet's nose, and Myler came on looking groggy. The soldier got to business, leading off with a powerful left jab, to which the Irish gladiator retaliated by shooting out a stiff one, flush to the point of Bennett's jaw. The redcoat ducked, but the Dubliner lifted him with a left hook, the body punch being a fine one. 
The men came to handy grips. Myla quickly became busy and got his man under, the bout ending with the bulkier man on the ropes, Myla punishing him. The Englishman, whose right eye was nearly closed, took his corner where he was liberally drenched with water, and, when the bell went, came on gamey and brimful of pluck, confident of knocking out the fistic Eblonite in jig time. It was a fight to a finish, and the best man for it. The two fought like tigers, and excitement ran fever high. The referee twice cautioned Pucking Percy for holding, but the pet was tricky, and his footwork a treat to watch. After a brisk exchange of courtesies, during which a smart uppercut of the military man brought blood freely from his opponent's mouth, the lamb suddenly waded in all over his man and landed a terrific left to battling Bennett's stomach, flooring him flat. It was a knockout, clean and clever. Amid tense expectation, the portobello bruiser was being counted out when Bennett's second, Oleb Fotz Vetstein, threw in the towel and the Santry boy was declared victor to the frenzied cheers of the public, who broke through the ring ropes and fairly mobbed him with delight. He knows which side his bread is buttered, says Alf. I hear he's running a concert tour now up in the north. He is, says Joe, isn't he? Who, says Bloom? Ah, yes, that's quite true. Yes, a kind of summer tour, you see. Just a holiday. Mrs. B is the bright particular star, isn't she, says Joe. My wife, says Bloom. She's singing, yes. I think it will be a success, too. He's an excellent man to organise. Excellent. Ho, ho, begob, says I to myself, says I. That explains the milk in the coconut, an absence of hair on the animal's chest. Blazes doing the tootle on the flute. Concert tour. Dirty Dan the Dodger's son off Island Bridge that sold the same horses twice over to the government to fight the Boers. Old what-what. I called about the pouring water rate, Mr Boylan. You what? The water rate, Mr Boylan. You what-what? That's the bucko that'll organise her. Take my tip. Twixt me and your caderiche. Pride of Calpe's rocky mount, the raven-haired daughter of Tweedy. There grew she to peerless beauty, where Loquat and Armand sent the air. The gardens of Alameda knew her step, the garths of olives knew and bowed. The chaste spouse of Leopold is she, Marion of the bountiful bosoms. And lo, there entered one of the clan of the Malloys, a comely hero of white face, yet withal somewhat ruddy, his majesty's counsel learned in the law, and with him the prince and heir of the noble line of Lambert. Hello, Ned. Hello, Alf. Hello, Jack. Hello, Joe. God save you, says the citizen. Save you kindly, says J.J. What'll it be, Ned? Half one, says Ned. So J.J. ordered the drinks. Were you round at the court, says Joe? Yes, says J.J. He'll square that, Ned, says he. Hope so, says Ned. Now what were those two at? 
J.J. getting him off the grand jury list, and the other give him a leg over the stile, with his name in stubs, playing cards, hobnobbing with flash toffs, with a swank glass in their eye, drinking fizz, and he half-smothered in writs and garnishy orders, pawning his gold watch in Cummins of Francis Street, when no one would know him in the private office, when I was there, with Pisser, releasing his boots out of the pop. "'What's your name, sir?' "'Done,' says he. "'I, and done,' says I. "'Gob, you'll come home by weeping cross one of these days, I'm thinking. "'Did you see that bloody lunatic Breen round there?' says Alf. "'Up, up.' "'Yes,' says J.J., looking for a private detective. "'Aye,' says Ned, and he wanted right go wrong to address the court, "'only Corny Kelleher got round him, telling him to get the handwriting examined first. Ten thousand pounds.' says Alf, laughing. God, I'd give anything to hear him before a judge and jury. Was it you who did it, Alf, says Joe? The truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you, Jimmy Johnson? Me, says Alf, don't cast your nasturtiums on my character. Whatever statement you make, says Joe, will be taken down in evidence against you. Of course an action would lie, says J.J. It implies that he's not compass mentis. Up, up. Compass your eye, says Alf, laughing. Do you know that he's balmy? Look at his head. Do you know that some mornings he has to get his hat on with a shoehorn? Yes, says J. But the truth of a libel is no defence to an indictment for publishing it in the eyes of the law. Ha, ha, Alf, says Joe. Still, says Bloom, on account of the poor woman. I mean his wife. Pity about her, says the citizen, or any other woman marries a half and half. How half and half, says Bloom. Do you mean he? Half and half, I mean, says the citizen. A fellow that's neither fish nor flesh, nor good red herring, says Joe. That's what I mean, says the citizen. A pishogue, if you know what that is. Begob, I saw there was trouble coming, and Bloom explained he meant, on account of it being cruel for the wife, having to go around after the old stuttering fool. Cruelty to animals, so it is, to let that bloody, poverty-stricken Breen out on grass, with his beard out, tripping him, bringing down the rain, and she with her nose cock-a-hoop after she married him, because a cousin of his old fellow's was pew-opener to the Pope picture of him on the wall with his smash all Sweeney's moustaches, the Signor Brini from Summerhill, the Italiano, papal zouave to the Holy Father, has left the key and gone to Moss Street. And who was he, tell us? A nobody, two pair back and passages at seven shillings a week, and he covered with all kinds of breastplates, bidding defiance to the world. And moreover, says J.J., a postcard his publication. It was held to be sufficient evidence of malice in the test case Sadgrove versus Hole. In my opinion, an action might lie. Six and eightpence, please. Who wants your opinion? Let us drink our pints in peace. Gob, we won't be let even do that much itself. Well, good health, Jack, says Ned. Good health, Ned, says J.J. There he is again, says Joe. Where, says Alf. And begob, there he was, passing the door, with his books under his oxter, and the wife beside him, and Corny Kelleher, with his wall-eye, looking in as they went past, talking to him like a father, trying to sell him a second-hand coffin.
How did that Canada swindle case go off, says Joe. Remanded, says J.J. One of the bottle-nosed fraternity it was went by the names of James Wart, alias Sapphiro, alias Spark and Spiro, put an ad in the papers saying he'd give a passage to Canada for 20 bob. What? Do you see any green in the white of my eye? Of course it was a bloody Barney. What? Swindled them all, skivvies and baddocks from the county Meath, I, and his own kidney too. J.J. was telling us there was an ancient Hebrew, Zaretsky or something, weeping in the witness box with his hat on him, swearing by the holy Moses he was stuck for two quid. Who tried the case, says Joe. Recorder, says Ned. Poor old Sir Frederick, says Alf. You can cod him up to the two eyes. Heart as big as a lion, says Ned. Tell him a tale of woe about arrears of rent and a sick wife and a squad of kids and faith. He'll dissolve in tears on the bench. Aye, says Alf, Reuben Jay was bloody lucky he didn't clap him in the dock the other day for suing poor little Gumley that's minding stones for the corporation there near Butt Bridge. And he starts taking off the old recorder, letting on to cry, A most scandalous thing, this poor hard-working man. How many children? Ten, did you say? Yes, your worship. And my wife has the typhoid. And a wife with typhoid fever? Scandalous. Leave the court immediately, sir. No, sir, I'll make no order for payment. How dare you, sir, come up before me and ask me to make an order. A poor, hard-working, industrious man. I dismiss the case. And whereas, on the sixteenth day of the month of the Oxide Goddess, and in the third week after the feast day of the Holy and Undivided Trinity, the daughter of the skies, the Virgin Moon, being then in her first quarter, it came to pass that those learned judges repaired them to the halls of law. There Master Courtney, sitting in his own chamber, gave his reed, and Master Justice Andrews, sitting without a jury in the probate court, weighed well, and pondered the claims of the first chargent upon the property in the matter of the will propounded and final testamentary disposition in Ray, the real and personal estate of the late lamented Jacob Halliday, Vintner, deceased, versus Livingston, an infant of unsound mind, and another. And to the solemn court of Green Street there came Sir Frederick the Falconer, and he sat him there about the hour of five o'clock to administer the law of the Brehons at the commission for all that, and those parts to be holden in and for the county of the city of Dublin, and there sat with him the high synhedrim of the twelve tribes of Yar, for every tribe one man, of the tribe of Patrick, and of the tribe of Hugh, and of the tribe of Owen, and of the tribe of Con, and of the tribe of Oscar, and of the tribe of Fergus, and of the tribe of Finn, and of the tribe of Dermot, and of the tribe of Cormac, and of the tribe of Kevin, and of the tribe of Kelty, and of the tribe of Oshan, there being in all twelve good men and true. And he conjured them by him who died on rude, that they should well and truly try and true deliverance make, in the issue joined between their sovereign lord the king and the prisoner at the bar, and true verdict give, according to the evidence, so help them God 
and kissed the books, and they rose in their seats, those twelve of Yah, and they swore by the name of him who is from everlasting that they would do his rightwiseness. And straightway the minions of the law led forth from their donjon keep one whom the sleuth-hounds of justice had apprehended in consequence of information received, and they shackled him hand and foot, and would take of him ni bail ni main prize, but preferred a charge against him, for he was a malefactor.' 